Hi everyone. This week is National Reconciliation Week here in Australia, which is a time to reflect on the shared history of this land, the injustices that have been done and that continue to be done to the Indigenous peoples here in Australia, and to explore how each of us can actively contribute to achieving reconciliation. As white people, Paul and I are conscious that we have inherited a privilege that has come at a great cost to others. We want to get better at understanding this and recognising the implicit racism and biases that we hold, and we want to get better at standing up and speaking out for what is right. It's with this in mind that Paul and I would like to acknowledge that we record this podcast on the unceded land of the Wurundjeri people. We would like to pay our respect to the elders both past and present of the Kulin Nation and to other Indigenous Australians who may listen. Hi, I'm Beck. And I'm Paul. And this is DVD Clutter. Hi, Paul. Hi, Beck. How are you doing? I'm uh, pretty tired. It's been a week back at school. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> so, welcome everyone to another week. If this is the first time you're listening, this is DVD Clutter. Thanks for listening. <laughs> In case you didn't understand the clever title, it is about DVDs and decluttering. Smooshed into one. I think that's all people need to know, really. That's it. Once a week, we watch a show, a movie show. A DVD, specifically. Importantly, is on a disc. Oh, we're all over the place today. And we decide whether it's worth keeping, going to the op shop, or... What are you going to talk about? Yeah, no. <laughs> There's a lot of ways this could go this week. <laughs> just let's just or say banished to the out. annals of history, just like racism is. Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fixed, right? Yeah. Thanks um, to Ed Norton. Mainly. <laughs> that's right. So we are doing American History X, which mm-hmm. Paul and I both explained last week. Neither of us had seen. Did have some preconceptions mm. about it. My preconceptions yeah. were that it was extremely violent. I thought it was rated R, but it's actually MA15+. Plus. Yeah, I was. I assumed it was R2 and then was shocked to see when I watched it, the MA warning come up at the front. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess also, like, it was one of those ones that was high cinema to an extent. Mm. Like, a lot, of, a lot of film dudes really like it. Like, after they get finished talking about Fight Club and Scorsese, <laughs> they'll be like, yeah. maybe chuck in this one for good measure. Right, yeah, yep. So our listeners might be wondering, if we've never seen it, why do we own the DVD? Great question. I've got the answer with me here. Hello. This is Laura, (laughs) who has been a recurring guest now. You've been on the podcast a couple of times. Yes, yes, that is true. And Laura's here to talk about why on earth she bought this film. So once again, um, there's not really a strong reason that I can recall, (laughs) but... From what I do remember, I bought it during my uh, hospitality restaurant days and just before I got my wisdom teeth out, I bought a bunch of DVDs, including American History X and Rumpus Stomper. Oh my god. And All in one go. Yeah, and maybe a couple of other sort of similarly themed subculture, like sort of skinhead (laughs) themed DVDs and I watched them all while I was high on endone and constipated. Um, You don't need to go into that detail. (laughs) When I was probably 19 or so uh, recovering from my uh, wisdom teeth extraction. Did you think, like, did you buy them all in one go? Do you reckon the person at Sanity was like... uh, JB Hi-Fi. Do you think the person at JB Hi-Fi was like, oh... I'm Asian. Maybe just take... I know you're... <laughs> but you can be an Asian and be a Nazi, no. I don't know. Really. I don't think you can. I don't but think that's you can. something else we'll need to explore another day. So anyway, <laughs> in short, I think maybe I bought it during one of my lunch breaks when I worked in hospitality. Around the time I got my wisdom teeth out, at least that's when I watched it. Yeah. And do you remember watching it high? Uh, no, I, I don't really ever remember being high, but I enjoyed taking the uh, prescription painkillers. Mm. Very soothing. <laughs> I can see why they are addictive. Uh-huh. Um, I totally understand that, though, because I remember I bought Deliverance, the movie, after I'd had my appendix out because I wanted to kind of, like, watch something, but I wanted to guarantee I wasn't going to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> so to I wouldn't burst yourself. any stitches. That's yeah. very true. Um, 
Yeah. So maybe after surgery you need to watch something that is dramatic. But I would argue that this could have you sobbing so hard that you're still hurting yourself. Really? Or not sobbing, but like, like, I was doing a lot of like, like, you know, like gasping. Yeah. I was very tense towards the end. Like there was, I feel like my, it was quite visceral. My whole body was involved in watching this film. (laughs) Oh, wow. I can't remember how I felt. I was in bed watching it though. I know that much. Mm. We have to get to a plot description so we can talk about it more. Let's do that. I am um, surprised by your emotional reactions to this. We'll do a quick plot description. I guess I'll do it. So, Danny's this kid. He's in high school. He's been put into his principal's office because he wrote an essay on Mein Kampf. Mm-hmm. And the principal's like, Oi, man, I knew your brother. He was a smart kid. Don't get involved in this shit. You're in my history class now. We're calling it American History X. Mm-hmm. You have to write about your brother going to jail and what that all means. So then we get these series of flashbacks um, about We Danny's... should probably also say that the Mr. Sweeney, the principal, is an African-American man. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, that's so important. So when he's, when he's being more empathetic about Mein Kampf than an, another person... That's then... his white Jewish teacher. Oh, yeah, he is Jewish, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so basically we find out through flashback about Derek... Danny's older brother, who was part of a racist skinhead culture in South Beach, is it? Yeah, it's uh, Venice Beach. Venice Beach, yeah. And he uh, was really like a leader within their gang who ended up going to jail for involuntary manslaughter. Mm, That's what it's called. We're treated treated to this scene right at the start and... You know, when you look at it and you think that's it, that's three years and that's involuntary manslaughter, what the fuck? Yeah, after he shot two African-American guys that were breaking into his truck. Mm-hmm. We find out that Derek had a riddled past where he lost his father, who we also find out was a pretty massive racist as well, mm-hmm. and really fell off the deep end. Anyway, Derek's coming out of prison, and in prison, Derek's become a better person, a not-racist and he's trying to get out of the gang. He doesn't want Danny getting involved. There's a party at the super racist house, Cam, and Derek's like, I'm done with this, and he punches Cam in the face a bit. Uh, He pulls Danny aside and said, racism's bad, man. They take down all their swastikas, and everything's looking all right, and then Danny gets shot. End. Whoa, that was the world's quickest plot summary. I don't want to get too much into it, but I feel like this film was much more than a Let's hug ourselves and pat ourselves on the back because we're not racists. Really? Yeah. See, whoa, I think we have de- very different interpretations of this film. Mm. Preaching to the choir comes to mind when I watched this. Okay. I think it's more complicated than that. But, Great. I look um, forward to the discussion. Yeah. Yeah, essentially it's, it's kind of flashbacks to how Derek got to his prison days and what happened to him when he was in prison, all with mm. the, the hope that... Derek, the younger brother, will learn from this. And he's idolised his brother his whole life. So while Derek, the Edward Norton character, was in jail, Danny was trying to, you know, carry on with his legacy, I guess, of of becoming this white supremacist leader and member of this gang of skinheads and Nazis, neo-Nazis. Can I just point out that, like, skinhead culture is very interesting and that um, they're not all neo-Nazis? Oh, yeah. And that's something I really wanted to talk about. Yes, I also uh, did a little of... research into oh, that. Oh, you did? Yeah. 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 So I haven't done any research, but I know a little bit about it from yeah. the past. That whole idea of having a the the racist skinhead, the neo-Nazi skinhead, is just like almost comical if you sort of look at... I'm sure you guys looked up the backstory to skinhead culture and sort of it being punk and anti-establishment and, yeah. you know, a movement from anarchy, and then it's sort of been stripped away by these idiots that yeah. don't understand the movement they were going for and have circled to it because of an aesthetic choice. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's kind of splintered off into all these different subgroups of skinhead culture and there's kind of warring amongst themselves as well. In the, I was reading about a group of skinheads who were staunchly anti-racist. So this is in New York City in the 1980s. They called themselves Sharp, which was Skinheads Against yeah. Racial Prejudice. Did you read about that? Yeah. Um, yeah, and they essentially formed with the intent of, like, fighting these Nazi skinheads and running them out of town. So they were like, no, nah, this is fucked. You're, 
fucking with our image and making us all appear to be racists and wanted them out of there. But unfortunately, due to pop culture, the enduring image that we have of skinheads is... Neo-Nazi white supremacists. Totally, totally. Due to movies like this, I really think... think And Romper Stomper. (laughs) It is 100%. Anyway, sorry, I... um... Interjected. Yeah, and... Is it because you've had your little punk moments and you felt like you've you feel that it's unfair that of this representation. I feel, I think a yeah, lot of people sure. do feel well, that. I know. I mean, there's a genre of music called oi, which is, I guess, um, part of the subculture of skinheads and punks and whatever. And I, I had a friend who was in it, uh, not in it, in a Melbourne band called marching orders. And that's, so I guess I, I do have a little bit of a connection to, and want to defend that, that part of that culture yep. that wasn't the racist. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, white supremacist. And I guess it, it's the danger of a movie like this that tries to oversimplify and paint with such a broad brush. Yes. That, yeah, can build to, I guess, a, a, a public image. I mean, it does kind of have a little nod to this about, like, you know, Cameron, who is the most dangerous, who's the one who goes and collects these vulnerable kids, he doesn't subscribe to this skinhead culture, in quotation marks. He's got a full head of hair start and he's very like you know presentable in a business way and i think that point is kind of saying and he likes it when when derek comes out of prison and he's got his hair back he's grown his hair out cameron's kind of saying i like your hair like that and it's an acknowledgement of we can get more done when we look like the Mm. average person you know when we don't look like a subculture when we look like the joe blow down the street who's best friends with everyone we can spread our word more when we blend in and that's really dangerous yeah I just wanted to... I don't want to keep Laura here the whole time because she might get bored. But <laughs> but I did want to ask you if it changed from your original viewing of it. No, I still think that Edward Norton is a really good actor and now I really want to watch uh, The 25th Hour and maybe even Fight Club. I can't really remember what else he's in right now. I still think it's a good film. Will I keep it on DVD? Well, that depends if I can find it on streaming services. Mm. Well, I think I get that say, actually. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) So you'll have to listen to the podcast. Yes, I will. You'll have to listen to the end of the episode to find Um, But Mm. what was the question? Does it hold (laughs) up? if it had changed from your... Yeah, 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 it holds up. I think it will hold up for for a long time. It's still really relevant. Yeah. Surprise, surprise, Paul. Racism is not fixed. Despite this movie. It actually might be worse than ever with the current uh, leader of America. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And it's amazing. The thing, one of the things that they talk about a lot in here and one of the things that kind of instigates a big fight between pre-prison Derek and his mum's new boyfriend is the Rodney King riots where it was captured on Mm. film. um, This African-American man, Rodney King, being beaten by police after they pulled him over for speeding. And that was a big kind of thing at the mo- at that time. It was around the time of this. And so it was part of the kind of zeitgeist at that moment. And, and now, sad to say, we hear of police brutality to African-American men specifically every day. In fact, another one, there's literally one happened just recently. And it's not just in America either. Like, it's happening in Australia. The percentage, if you are a Aboriginal or an Indigenous person in Australia, especially youth and especially male, you are way more likely to end up in prison than you would be if you were white so yeah i just i just think that it's not getting better <laughs> like no, it's, it's not you know the indigenous youth make up seven percent of our general population but 54 percent of the youth in detention centers are or in like youth detention youth justice centers 54 percent right. but isn't that crazy like it's not yeah anyway i feel like i'm not contributing anything other than changing the topic (laughs) (laughs) so you'll be here all day so thank you for coming that's okay yes Um, thanks laura we got onto that way way more quickly than i was expecting all very important stuff to talk about and i guess that's going to be the the difficulty talking about this movie i guess is it, it yes racism is bad but is this film any good paul this shocks me i really enjoyed this film my my issue fell in that I just don't think it was a well-put-together movie. I feel like the social messaging was not nuanced enough. It was yelled to a point that it's going to isolate anyone that's going to do any good for. And 
only work to make people that aren't racist feel better. And the definition of aren't racist in this had no subtlety at all. It means if you don't have a swastika on your chest, then you're doing a great job. You know, if you're not actively being violent against another race, then you're doing a good job. This, I think, it narrowed the definition of what a racist is and what racism can be to a point that it infuriated me. It really did. It sort of said, okay, look, here's the bad guy. Well, no, it didn't even. It didn't even set him up as a bad guy. It set him up as such a good guy and sort of said, oh, yeah, Edward Norton's a great character because he became better. Edward Norton's character is not good, and it didn't at any point, apart apart from that one overly graphic encounter that he had that was, though realistic and violent, was still so over the top and so this is a bad man that it, it gave no nuance to that character at all, in my opinion. I... I didn't like it. I thought the whole pretentious, we're going back in time, so I'll put everything in slow-mo and black and white, (laughs) just felt stupid. It felt like some film student product. And it made me think, no wonder every dude bro loves this film because it's doing everything that they're trying to do in their Film 101 class. I didn't get it, really. I do want to say Norton's performance I thought was good, and I thought that was expert casting because it just... The danger that I thought that could have made this film even worse is that you hire someone that I guess who is more traditionally masculine mm. in the role. But I really got that vibe of you can see him being dejected by society enough to find, I guess, a sense of community in this group. Like he, he at essence, was a wimpy, dweeby white kid. Mm. And you can see that sort of unjustified anger building up in him and his performance is of someone who would find themselves in that situation, not of someone who wouldn't. So Mm. I thought maybe not even his performance, but his casting in the role I thought was excellent. And to find out later that they didn't really want him to begin with. Well, not they, the director. The director, sorry. Interesting discussion for later. And and maybe part of the reason that you found that the film was clunky and, and overdone in some respects because there was a big um, falling out with New Line Cinemas and the director, Tony Kaye, from what I read, his cut of the film looked like a commercial and then he refused to recut it. The whole debacle, Edward Norton ended up actually recutting, <laughs> recutting the yeah, film. Yeah, and Edward Norton, like, his reputation is that he is a knob to work with and will often recut things to make himself look better. That's what Tony Kay was saying too. Yeah. Um, Um. (laughs) But I don't know. I mean, yeah. Either way, I mean, I haven't seen the Tony Kay version, but um, it is a. a, No, it is a dramatic film in a lot of ways and very over the top to the point where it reminded me a lot of Romeo and Juliet, the Baz Luhrmann version of Romeo and Juliet, which is that extreme. Which is that extreme like theater. You know, we know what Baz Luhrmann's like. And yeah. it is, like, super over the top and it's super, like, dramatic and very Baz luhrmann Yeah, and you can do that with Shakespeare. You're not going to do that with a tale of neo-Nazis and try and work through subtleties of race relations in the US in that style. Oh, I don't... I disagree with your interpretation of the film. <laughs> Fair enough. I think it's important to create his, his character as a a bit of a hero or to show the power and the seductiveness of falling into something like that when you are so full of um, anger and hatred. And that scene, that opening, close to opening scene where he shoots the men who have come to steal his car and he runs outside and he's, you know, it's, it's, it is, it's, again, you're, you're completely right. It's in black and white. It's in, it's in slow motion. It's like full on, you know, dramatized, whatever, over the top. But he, he has this, like, power and this seductiveness to that power that I think it's important for people to experience and to understand to help you question your own choices and the reasons that you might feel more comfortable being, like, subtly racist than actually investigating your own biases because it gives you that sense of control and it gives you that sense of power. And if you don't get to, if you don't investigate that, then we're all in trouble. Interesting. Look, and I think that's definitely what I think the film was going for, but I just don't feel like it achieved it. I think it also, like, what really like compounded it for me was just the way that he has this very quick turnaround. Yes, And 100%. though they do a, a flashback in the, into the prison to sort of talk about 
why he turned around and no i totally get what you mean i totally get the, so you're essentially the, i that bit where he turns around so quickly is clunky i found it unbelievable as well but it is easier to buy into if you're already of the mindset of of course he has to have a turnaround to be honest with you when yeah. i discovered i didn't read the blurb before i watched it and i thought he was still going to be a neo-nazi when he came out of prison because i was like three years in prison surely is not enough to change anyone's mind and the the whole relationship with dr sweeney the principal you know it was very i felt that i found that very awkward as well because there was an element of just there's in fact it's kind of encapsulated in this opening scene where we see the younger brother come into the principal's office and no we don't even see he's not even in the principal's office the english teacher who has received this essay on Mein Kampf is in the principal's office talking to the principal and he's saying this is he's gone too far he has to be expelled whatever whatever and um, Dr Sweeney the principal is just has this line of I will not give up on this child or something like that and it's very the dialogue's awful yes it's especially I found it at the starting start of the movie it was almost jarring how bad it was that that scene was really awful was really stilted and like didn't feel and we will call it american American history History x X. (laughs) yeah i just felt like from that point onward i i I didn't feel like the film knew where it was going It, it knew the message that it wanted to say which again that racism is bad but it didn't have enough substance anywhere to carry carry that apart from yeah painting a very black and white picture um literally with black and white footage of <laughs> racism being a bad thing, which we know, and people that maybe don't know it or don't realise they don't know it are going to watch this and go, okay, yeah, look, that kind of racism is bad. That's what racism is if you're out there murdering people of different races. But I'm not, a, I'm not that. I'm not a racist. I mean, yes, I agree. But I think it it does a little nod to the other version of racism in the Cameron character and in that that idea that there there is people within the community who are spouting these ideals. Yes, a little subtle nod, but then when we still introduce to Cameron, he he speaks in a way that is out, outrageously racist. Well, he's in the confines it, of his it, it, little cult. But it, again, that's not you can you can watch that and say, okay, well, yeah, see, look, that is that's still what racism is. If you're, uh, I just don't think so there was Paul, enough subtlety Paul, in anything. So you want a Hollywood movie, or you want a movie that's going to? I mean, and I yes, systemic racism and subtle racism is the thing that is most damaging and it's the thing that contributes to the police having this bias and often an unconscious bias that if a black man comes towards me I'm in danger for my life that stuff is so dangerous and that stuff is really really important but that's not what this movie was talking about no instead yeah it was saying that white supremacists are bad yeah and some people don't know that It's true. It's fucking true. <laughs> I know, but are they the people that are going to watch this and agree with the message that it sends at the end that a guy can come out of prison and just go, well, pack it up, boys. Well, I was I, wrong. No, look, <laughs> Paul, I was shocked at that too. And I was very unbelieving at that. I was like, there's no way, especially in, I mean, the justice system is fucked anyway. Like, I don't think anyone comes out of prison better off than they were when they went in. But, I mean, I haven't been to prison. I don't know. Maybe that. Maybe some people do. I hope that they do. But, you know, the justice system is just a whole fucking mess here and in America. And it's not like they get to, you know, it's not like there's, you know, intense one-on-one counselling where, you know, you really get to the grips of the issues that brought you here. And it's not like when you're let out, you are given help to kind of re-get back into society properly you're thrown out on the street again and then it's like, you know, half the time you're back in jail because you, it's the way of life that you know. Um, I'm talking like I've experienced it. I haven't experienced it. I just want to emphasise that. But I've worked in Corrections Victoria a little bit and just, yeah, I think there are so many problems with the justice system. Time for another discussion. But, so I was really unbelieving when he came out in three years and was like, oh, I'm over that stuff now. That stuff's dumb. But it was it was inspired by a true story. Yeah, that's all I have to say. And he went to jail for three years, <laughs> and he wasn't I, as extreme. He wasn't as into it as this. And it's obviously a 
it's a Hollywood movie, you know, it's a it's a make money. We want to dramatize, we want to make it dramatic. Yeah, but I don't know. Suspend your disbelief, Paul. But apart from that, I guess my disappointment came from that, you know, this has been a film that I'd often read about sort of within the circles of really good cinema. And I guess I probably was coming in with quite high expectations and mm. was, yeah. I didn't have any expectations was, except yeah, that it was... was offended by the poor quality of the film. Like beyond the, the way that it deals with race, I just, don't, I just honestly think the dialogue, the structure and pacing of the story and just the way that those black and white slow-mo shots are shot <laughs> was infuriating enough and then just to sort of carry itself on this idea that you know yeah we're a we're a positive race film and not going anywhere below a surface level surface level that hardcore racism is a bad thing and you know hate leads to hate and violence leads to violence it's also i I, I really was expecting just so much more from it and i and it's it's a problem that any movie is going to have like you know if i was watching it back in 1997 maybe i'd be wowed but I was disappointed. I I definitely didn't have any of those expectations. I just thought it was a super violent film about skinhead culture and neo-Nazis. And also that is the other thing to keep in mind. It is a look into this particular group of... This particular culture, I guess. Like, it's not a look into, you know, the subtleties of racism in our legal system, in our education system, in the structure of our society... It's a look into this particular culture, um, which does exist. Yeah, but I don't know if you're going to... It's trying to have too much of everything. I think if you're going to go for an actual look into a real culture, then don't Sunday afternoon message movie it up enough to make it a Hollywood thing and actually do look into that. Don't inspire by a true story. Tell by a true story then. Right, maybe. It, It wanted to give everything to everyone. It wanted to be an art film that everyone liked that would appeal to teenage boys but also appeal to people that are thinking I didn't even know that it, less it about was about violence like, and sex. I didn't even know it was meant to be an, an artistic masterpiece. I had no idea. No yeah, well, you know, it's got black and white shots and slow motion of a beach. What what did you expect? So I feel like basically what we're getting at here is that we shock and horror have a different opinion on this film Beck. It's some people's favorite day when we disagree so you know for people who love it when we have a disagreement yeah you know happy days that's just it maybe maybe our listenership will shoot through the roof um (laughs) but i think we've probably gotten to the end of both both of us saying um our opinions on it so let's maybe but i think i think i would argue oh sorry i would argue we both have valid opinions that you know, it's also good to look at overt racism, but it's really also important to look at implicit racism. Yeah. And it's good to come across a film where we do get to have, yeah, a chat like this, which mm, isn't the kind of true. chat that we that we might pull out of uh, um, Dude, Where's My Car, for example. No, it wasn't quite <laughs> as thought-provoking, I would say. <laughs> so maybe it would be better for us to uh, delve into some particular scenes of the film. Yeah. I've got a few notes that I wouldn't mind talking through. Yeah, go, go ahead. I quite liked, I know you're probably going to say this is one of the wankiest things that you didn't like, but I quite liked the beach and the opening. It was very meditative. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I found it very soothing. It was like a meditation video. And I just thought it was, if you haven't seen it, it's literally like the waves coming in and going out and it's got the cast and crew coming up. Um, Just on the screen, just their names, very (laughs) silent and quiet and in black and white. I just feel like you you don't often see that, I guess, in, in movies. I know, because I feel in like... In big movies that you've heard of, because it's... <laughs> and especially, I think I really thought this was some kind of action-violent, like, re- super-violent action yeah. movie. So I think I was really, like, pleasantly surprised by that opening. It was a bit smoother. Yeah, I think... Mm. I'd argue that you maybe don't see it as much because a lot of people are smart <laughs> enough to not use it in their film. No, it's because we don't have enough patience. <laughs> I didn't like it. <laughs> Yeah, okay, I'm not surprised. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I wanted to talk a little bit more about how this reminded me of Romeo and Juliet, and I know you think you can only get to be over the top with Shakespeare, but I disagree. No, anyway, um, no, I just think you can't have both worlds. If you're going to tell a dirty, gritty, 
true story about skinhead racists, you don't get to be Baz Luhrmann-esque. I disagree. I think okay. you can use whatever storytelling methods you would like. And yeah, I, quite no, like, I guess you I, can, and it just doesn't work. So that's fine. For you. It doesn't work for you. <laughs> and I think that, um, I think that, yeah, I really, I mean, maybe this, again, speaks to me, and I love Baz Luhrmann. So I, we already know that I love that kind of dramatic, over-the-top stuff and it just it had real Romeo and Juliet vibes for me because it's set in Venice Beach as well which is where Romeo and Juliet is set that's where all the shit goes down in that obviously not the traditional Romeo and Juliet for those who haven't seen it but yeah there was like lots of lots of scenes that were comparable for me and you know that over-the-top dramatic feel reminded me of Romeo and Juliet which is a film that I really like and so maybe that helped me understand it a little bit more than you <laughs> I'm not gonna um, buy it. <laughs> okay. And there was this scene. There's a particular scene in Romeo and Juliet. I don't know if you're super familiar with the movie. Are you? No. There's this epic like bit where um, Romeo's best friend Mercutio dies, and that's a big. It's a massive fight scene at the beach, and you know there's thunderclouds in the background. It's a great scene. Super over the top, super dramatic, very emotionally driven and everything. And the, the opening scene of this film, which was when Derek sees the two men about to steal, or three men about to steal his car, and he comes out and eventually he's getting arrested and he's like, you know, naked from the um, top up and he's got his swastika there on his chest and he's like, yeah, you know, he's like this hero getting arrested for doing this horrific act. And it kind of reminded me of that. This, it had that same feel of that fight scene in Romeo and Juliet um, for some reason. I think it was the, the slow motion, the over-the-top dramatics, all that stuff. Yeah, and I, went, I did wonder. I went to do some research, but I completely forgot. I wondered if there was some kind of inspiration going on here. I don't know, or like some kind of connection between the two films. It really, it just really gave me the vibes of, the, of that, that style of filmmaking. And that scene when he does kill the men trying to steal his car and get arrested. It does show him in this really heroic light. And I think, yeah, it's kind of showing that allure of that power and that how powerful he feels in that moment when you buy into that extreme racism and that extreme, like, I am way better than other people. He It makes him feel really powerful in that moment. And that's why people want to go down that path because they're afraid and feel insecure and weak and like they're failing at everything and and i totally agree with you there and i think that's the purpose of that that scene i just don't think the film backed it up with enough lows of that character to really i guess fulfill that purpose enough from my opinion yeah yeah as in like didn't make him look bad enough yeah or didn't sort of what about the what about the family violence scene that the dinner scene that was horrific. I still think I know it, it. Yeah, horrific. But I still think he's portrayed as sort of. I still think he isn't portrayed as enough of a villain in that scene. Really? Yeah. I wanted him. I was like, he needs to be out of the house. He needs to be none of this. If, if you haven't seen the movie, they're having dinner. The mum's new boyfriend is there, who's happens to be a Jewish man, and they're talking about the beating of Rodney King, which sparked the riots and. Um, Derek goes on this obviously racist rant and there's a big argument uh, which which ends in him pulling the hair of his sister, kind of pushing and shoving his sister, hitting his mum, like oh, this whole kerfuffle. And I I was very visceral. I was, it was very um, visceral for me. And I was very like, it was awful. I couldn't, I could hardly watch it. It was. It, it is. It's it felt- one of the hardest scenes to watch in the film. And I just felt that the film excused him enough already by that point. We'd sort of already seen that he definitely changed around from the man the bad guy character he'd been and i think it leant too heavy on that but his dad died come on his dad died that's why he's acting up yeah Um, i didn't get that at all yeah that and that's yeah how i kind of felt I, i felt like Derek's character was too much of a shining knight throughout yeah okay and excuses were made for his behavior too much I thought he was forgiven for that act too quickly in terms of, you know, he he went to jail shortly afterwards. It was the night after that family argument that he killed the men. So he went to jail essentially the next day after that. And when we see him get out of jail, his family is all forgiving and loving and there's all this hugging and stuff. So I guess, yeah, I do understand. And I didn't understand that. I, I felt like 
he shouldn't have been forgiven from his, by his family that much. Yeah. Um, and there was definitely moments in there where I felt like he was too... There was, I think there was still one moment where he showed that he was still like a pretty controlling asshole, you know, when he was just yelling at people to wait out there after he got back from prison. So even though he was changed in some way in terms of his views had changed, there were still moments that did show that he was still a bit of a controlling dickhead. Yeah, and I, and I, wished, I just wish that there was more of those subtleties. Yes, I wish I we got to see... A better a better side of his character when he, when he is a bad guy, and a worse side of his character when he is a, when he is a, a good guy. And yeah. the end. instead yeah. of it really yes. being like, there's that scene um, before his dad dies that we see in flashback where he's like, where he's talking about Mister Sweeney and saying he's such a good teacher. And I just yeah, really feel it was like so it's so bad that scene. Yeah, it's shoehorned in, and I think yeah, yeah. I, I yes, wanted I, a bit more. I totally agree with that scene. It was very, um, it was like, Derek was a stand-up student until his dad one day said some racist things to him and then he turned into a skinhead. Yeah. I should say, a, a Nazi skinhead. Yeah. Um, hashtag not all skinheads. <laughs> <laughs> but then Maybe he went to prison and, and made one African-American friend. Yeah, and, and everything all his was better. Changed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and I just yeah. didn't believe. I was like, I said it. I made a note of like saying, surely his dad was racist before that. Like it must have been subtle. There must have been stuff happening when he was growing up. It's not like his dad. He's just like, I've got this great teacher, and I'm reading this great book that's by an African American. And then his dad's like, oh no, those don't believe everything that guy tells you. And he's like, oh yeah, yeah. It was just very. It was very clunky. Also, the terrible thing about that was I felt like how that couldn't have been that long ago because the they, were, they looked the same age. Like, he looked the same age. Their makeup team didn't make him look any younger, really. No. It was kind of that he had, like, a baseball cap on or something to try and give him a teen vibe. But, yeah, yeah it didn't – I feel like that scene was a bit of a letdown for sure. And that's – yeah, I, I didn't like Norden's performance there either because he was obviously playing young, but he's playing young yes. like uh, – Gee Willikers! Yes, totally. It's like, oh, gosh, Dad, you mean white people are better? Oh. Yeah, yeah. it was very, very clunky. Yeah, I think that's pretty much all I had to talk about, except for what we'll go into if you want to talk a little bit more about the making of, and there is an interesting history yeah. there. I, we, we touched on it briefly in, in the, height of, the height of discussion before, but... Uh, <laughs> I, the making of this film is just like ridiculous. Yeah. Reading up on I, what happened. Do you want to explain it and then I, yeah, I'll add in stuff. Uh, Michael. I don't know. I just know about the controversy in the aftermath. So, do you have more than that? No, I think that's basically it. Tony K, the director. I I get the vibe, and it's so. Oh, let's let's start with the facts, actually. <laughs> okay, before we go into wild <laughs> yeah. speculation. Yeah. Great idea. <laughs> he had a 95-minute cut of the movie. The studio didn't like it. They got Edward Norton in, basically, to recut the movie. Tony K got very angry. So angry. So angry that he pulled it out of getting screened at Toronto. He took out full-page advertisements in the, like, the local papers to say how he'd been wronged and tried to get his name taken off the film. And then he couldn't get it taken off the film. This is my favourite bit. So he decided to try and get it changed to Humpty Dumpty. <laughs> yeah. He wanted to be credited as Humpty Dumpty. And he bought with him to some of the negotiations. He, like, started to bring in his little, um, his entourage, which included, like, a Buddhist monk. I can't remember who it was. A rabbi and a priest. There you go. It sounds like a start of a terrible joke, you know. Yeah. But he literally was, like, bringing in his spiritual guides to try and help with these negotiations. And so because of this schmozzle, he was basically blacklisted in Hollywood and wasn't able to make anything for years and years until he eventually had success with the documentary. From that point, he went to make another movie. Oh, I forget the name of it, but it had Lawrence Fishburne in it. Mm, yep. Tested well. People were like, okay, look, he's come back. Um, the company went bust. And due to legal troubles, the film was never released. Oh, my God. No one ever saw it. Like, when you look at him, he looks like a, he looks like a bit of a hippie. So um, I, I think he's had one more film since then that was sort of, you know, lukewarm. 
And then the other yeah. thing he's been working on is a documentary that's basically, by the sounds of it, two hours of him just apologising for being such a prick back in American oh. History X days. Like, Really? Yeah, that is just him being like, I was young, and he wants it to be a warning for people coming into Hollywood that arrogance like mm. that just won't work. But, like, now the wild speculation. I really Not think sure. <laughs> that... Because, you know, everyone's always like, oh, the director's cut, you know, the director's cut tells the true message. I have a feeling that his cut was bad, really bad. It would have had to have been, surely. Yeah, and I think whatever they did to it, and look, to me it didn't save the movie. I I still wasn't a fan of it. (laughs) But I'm sort of morbidly curious to figure out what he had in there. He he says that they added too much emotion to it. There was too much sort of hugging and making up. Yes, I read that too. So did he just want it to be like the plot that we said before, the... Dad says one racist thing, turns boy racist, boy goes to prison, boy better. With no, like, did he want it to be even less subtle? Did what, like... Maybe, yeah. I mean, the what I read really emphasised his history as a producer of commercials and as a, or director of commercials. And from what I read, they were saying essentially that he treated this like he would a commercial. So it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't subtle and it yeah. was kind of like... I don't know how what it would a commercial look like. Just well, product placement everywhere. I guess that's what you can kind of feel like. This is a commercial for being not racist to yeah. a large extent, and it and a commercial doesn't need much more of a plot than that. And that's probably where a lot of my faults come from with it. I mean, you can see most evidently his um, commercial background. There's this scene in the movie where Derek and his white supremacist gang win a basketball court off a african-american gang and the scene is just weird like it's so weird i had actually had a note down there i was like that scene is completely unnecessary it's Um, it feels like it feels like an ad for basketball or for for something yeah there wasn't i felt like there wasn't much storytelling or the storytelling in that in that scene could have been done in like a heartbeat yeah um some other way and i'm surprised that when the editors came in they didn't get yeah. rid of that because it doesn't yeah doesn't say much to the movie except for maybe giving well, the um african-american gang some reason to uh break into Derek's car but also like i think there was plenty of other reasons yeah i mean he's got you a, know, he he's was like a, a giant racist <laughs> yeah and an active member of a, a an active violent, a gang that yeah. was fighting against another gang like it's not like exactly well, the basketball court thing really yeah pushed the things basketball too far. really oh yeah whoops and I read this review of it that said that, that was a key scene in showing his, like, growth as a leader in the the gang that he was in. But I was like, I don't, like, I think that was, he was already, like, I don't think so. I didn't, I didn't get that from it at all. But that scene also confused me a lot more because we talked a bit earlier about the Cam character, sort of like the, the leader that was sort of behind mm. the scenes pulling the strings. Mm. And... It confuses because he me that scene because he turns up to this basketball game is it on the sideline just sort of like egging them on and you know playing around with them and I thought the whole point of his character was that he didn't get involved in any of that sort of petty stuff he was there to indoctrinate from afar yes a hundred percent but then he was there at the basketball basically dumping Gatorade over Derek when he stood up and said first one to five goals whoever loses gets the court yeah, yeah. it's just yeah it was, yeah that was weird. Maybe he was there to try and find some other recruit, other recruits, new recruits. I don't know. I don't know. It um, doesn't play well. That guy reminds me of Donald Trump. Yeah. Yeah. That's all. And well, certain, um, certain very recent tweets. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, the stuff that's it's just it's really really super depressing the the stuff that is happening in terms of how racist our society is um western white western culture is particularly the stuff that's happening here subtly and you know in the system and what's happening right now in america with the with george floyd and the riots and the fight that has to continue Mm. i mean you'd yeah, it's just so sad that this is still there. Still has to be this, this fight still has to be happening. Yeah, it is a frustrating when you watch a movie like this and can relate to it so. Yeah. Easily. Because I feel like so much yeah. longer, so much later than when it was out. Yeah, I feel like you know I'd feel like Donald Trump would. 
go and have a cup of tea with good old Cameron and, you know, they'd be on the same page, which is fucked mm. up. Yeah. So the screenwriter for this too, like I realised, was a bit of an anom- anomaly in that, you know, he did this sort of very serious film and then sort of went on to have writing credits on Blow, that um, Johnny Depp mm. mm-hmm. movie, and SWAT, <laughs> the movie version of the TV show, which is basically another version of Triple X. Um, I think I've got it on DVD, <laughs> so we'll watch it at, at some point. And n- now he's just a professor of screenwriting, but it was it just seemed like a very weird career tra- trajectory. Oh, yes, I did read about him as well. Which, again, then really, again, speaks to that I think this script is not great. <laughs> it's a little clunky. Mm. And you never know, really, who, yeah. you know, if that if that comes from the fact that they had to have multiple people edit or whether... Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yes, there could have, it could have been a combination of things that maybe it wasn't the, the best, smoothest script in the first place, but also having different people edit it and trying to piece together something after they'd had a bit of a nightmare of post-production. I mentioned at the start that this, that I was like, it was quite a tense experience for me, this film, and especially the last part of it, because I knew that I just, I got this feeling, and maybe it's because it was obvious from your, if you, from your opinion, but I knew that little brother Danny was going to die. Yeah, that was, was pretty, get... that was pretty bleeding obvious. Yeah. yeah. Um <laughs> But I just, it was so tense. That last little bit, I was like, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? And there was like a car driving by and I was like, oh, they're going to shoot him in a drive-by. I just, I was, I was on edge for that last yeah. maybe 10 minutes of, Look, of like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. To be honest, I was exactly the same. Um, but mainly because mm-hmm. I paused it, I think before the last 20 minutes. And then I was like, well, the only way they're going to wrap this up is with someone getting mm-hmm. shot. And yeah. I really felt with what they were going for, it wasn't going to be Derek because they wanted to no. show that violence is ongoing and you know well they wanted to punish him i guess yeah it was Um, a it was a long-term punishment of your actions yeah Yeah. so um but no you're right i was i was on edge because i just felt like i I knew he was gonna die yeah you know he's gonna die but as soon as he goes to that toilet you're like oh yeah yeah that was it yeah Yeah, that was it this is where it's um i did not understand i read this and Mm. tell me if you got this because it completely went over my head so the guy who shoots him in the end, we, f- we see the guy who shoots him right at the start when him and a friend are beating up someone else in the toilet and Danny comes and stands up to them and, like, he essentially just blows smoke in their face and he's a bit of a prick to them. Yeah. And they probably know um, they were two African-American kids and they probably know that he's associated with the white supremacist gang and blah, blah, blah. So then I didn't know this, but apparently that was the little brother of the one of the guys that Derek killed at the start. I did not pick up on that. Yeah, neither. I didn't get that. So I don't know if that was that was maybe in parentheses in the script and it didn't make it into the yeah. movie or if that's some someone else's interpretation. But I didn't understand that. Great. Well, I guess you've got a decision to make on Laura's behalf. I know. I don't know what to do, Paul. Oh, <laughs> uh, we went to LD today. Yeah. Exciting news in the life of Beck and Laura. And we picked up a catalogue and it's great just looking through that catalogue, so relaxing. And they have a shredder in there because they're selling all this home office stuff. And the shredder doesn't just shred paper, Paul. What else does it shred? It shreds, dude, where's my car? It certainly does. <laughs> Isn't that cool? I had no idea. Brilliant. Yeah, so, so we didn't saying, buy it. But... Are you saying that this should be going to the shredder? <laughs> no, no. I don't think it should be going to the shredder. I think we will... Oh, this is really hard. What do you think I should do? Yeah, it's a tricky one to... I mean, you would say give it away. Yeah, well, I I wouldn't want to keep it if it was mine. Um, I think there's a lot, of, a lot better films that look at the same issues. Um, I think I'll keep it on that note. Okay. <laughs> and is that completely because... despite me or is that <laughs> just a tiny bit, just a tiny bit. <laughs> just because like Laura's already done a purge of her DVDs. Yeah. So I'll I keep it you. and she this one stayed and I think because of that links to to skinhead culture and punk culture, it might have some small bit of importance. Yeah. 
not because of the links to Nazi skinhead culture. I should just yeah. make that clear. Yeah. Um, Laura is Asian Australian, just for people who don't know. She's not a white supremacist. <laughs> just clarifying. Yep. So I think I'll keep it for now, but I think kind of like I think you did one earlier like this. So I'll keep it for now. If we run out of space and there's more that I want to keep, it might be one of the ones that, yeah. that goes at the end. I wonder which one that was. Was oh. it IT Crowd? No, that you, one's No, that you gave gone. that away. Yeah. yeah. By the way, our op shops reopened for donations. So That's um, cool. no one got in touch via the DVD clutter email. So I did a bit of a purge. Yeah. Yeah. It's done. Well done. Yeah. Well done. Um, oh, I forgot wait. to. I forgot to talk about the special features. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Go, go, go. There wasn't much. There was those crappy bios where you have to read. Yeah. The biography of the you know Reading like all those sucks. early nineties DVDs, um, or mid nineties DVDs. Um, but there was some deleted scenes included, which included a really kind of prolonged. Um, following of Cameron and Seth. And we didn't talk about Seth, but he's one of the main um, gang members that was best friends with Derek before Derek went to mm. prison. And he's like, he's dumb, like to put it bluntly. He's like, he's not clever. He's not made out to be a clever person. And he's just a disgusting human being, essentially. So this scene just follows him and Cameron talking and being racist. And they go and get a burger and talk about how terrible... Yeah. Like they just show, there's this chat that talks about, that shows how terrible they are. And Cameron's essentially saying, they're like, fuck that guy in terms of Derek because he wants to leave. And Cameron's saying, oh, I can see you've got leadership potential. You can be the next one to kind of take the, take the reins. Um, and that's right before, because there's this really confusing bit right at the end, which I think they also should have tried to edit out where the police want Derek to go back undercover and like be a. Um, yeah. Because by the sounds yeah. of it, um, Cameron and Seth were shot at. Yeah, attacked um, in some way. Yeah, and the and police this... are worried about retaliation, so they want Derek to be like, "Hey, how about we don't I'm retaliate?" I'm back in the gang. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and then that kind of gets forgotten because then Danny gets, Danny gets shot, shot and the film ends. Yeah, <laughs> so um, yeah. they could have just cut that out. Um, and this scene essentially is them, Cameron and Seth hanging out just before they get attacked. Yeah. There was also a scene on the Venice Beach boardwalk where a African-American woman is walking around with her trolley and she gets attacked by two young skinheads who I didn't recognise who they were. I don't think one of them was Danny, but they were just, like, pushing over a trolley and abusing her and shouting at her and there was a a nice close-up on her looking hurt and sad. There was actually, there was another one of my notes. There was a lot of fucking close-ups in this film. A lot of really intense, like, you know, yeah. middle-of-the-face close-ups. It's a bit full-on for me. And there was another scene which, this it was really interesting, this scene, because this is right at the end as well, where Derek takes Danny to get breakfast before he takes him, he drops him off at school right before he gets yeah, shot. Yeah. So it's like in the last, like, 10 minutes or so. Oh. And there's a... Quick fact, that's the same diner as the one um, in Pulp Fiction. No, in Reservoir Dogs. Ah. In Reservoir Dogs. Ah. You know, at the start yep. where they're, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Cookie. So it's that diner. Yeah. Yeah. It's that diner and um, there's an African-American woman and her child who are, like, getting something before Derek's, like, lining up behind them. And in this little deleted scene, he has a bit of a cute conversation with the girl, with the young kid, to show, like, I'm not racist he's, anymore. He's a great guy now. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get that. Um, and they cut that out. But it felt like something was like that was going to happen. Like when I saw her and him standing yeah. behind waiting in line, it was kind of an obvious little yeah. moment that was going to happen. So I was, it was interesting to see that that was in the deleted scenes. You're it very right. Like, I remember now that, yeah. And that was it. So there was only three deleted scenes and that was it for the special features. Yeah. Oh, well. Except for the special feature of scene selection. Wow. Don't forget about that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was unlikely um, Tony K was going to come in and do a commentary. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon he would have, and he would have just like... This sucks. This like, sucks. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. <laughs> Humpty Dumpty. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. It was really interesting. I have done a little bit of research into Frank Mink, who was the guy who was an inspiration for the script. Um, oh, yeah. 
And it is interesting. His story is interesting. He was in jail for three years and came out a changed man. Um, but he just talks a lot. He's like a he does public lectures and um, and has written a book and stuff now. And he just talks a lot about the fact that he was suicidal um, on one day, homicidal the next. He said he kind of swung from one to the other. He was an incredibly unhappy person. Um, and he said it's all about fear and fear turning to anger. And there's nowhere for that fear to go. So it kind of bubbles up and becomes this anger and this need for control and power. And and that's where these kind of extremist groups come from. Yeah. All right. And he, he talks, he actually talks about how he recruited kids like mm. Danny, like vulnerable young kids, really yeah. targeted them, which is so, ah, uh, so it's thought awful. out and awful. Ugh, yuck. All right. So. That's, that's it. That's it. Um, next. Well, that's American History X. That's it. Oh, quick question. Why yeah. is it called American History X? Am I dumb? And- essay at the start where um, Sweeney's like. No, I know. I got that. But why did he call his sub his special subject American History X? I think because he's trying to be like, it's the now. It's the hip. We're not talking about ancient history. We're talking about history now. Right. Okay. Like a TEDx talk. Oh, that's where they get TEDx from. <laughs> Also reminded me of when, you won't get this reference, but for those Harry Potter fans out there, Dumbledore, I'm just reading the sixth book where Dumbledore gives Harry special lessons as well about how to find the Horcruxes, Hmm. how to defeat Voldemort. So this was the inspiration for Harry Potter, wow. Essentially, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, dear. So next week we're actually, because it's a long weekend in Australia uh, or in Victoria for anyone who's not... Yeah, don't just take the day off because we told you. Check check your public holidays. That's it. So we're actually going to have a break. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we are (laughs) going to have a little break. It's been an intense time going back to school, having the kids come back. Paul's had the kids come back. I'm having the kids come back in a couple of weeks. We're commuting again. There's lots of people on the road. Things are crazy. Yeah. Um, So So, we are going to have a little bit of a weekend off, but we will be back the following weekend. With Looney Tunes oh, back yeah. in action. Couldn't have chosen a more different film if you tried, Paul. Yeah. It's a lot lighter. One for <laughs> really? these times. It's on, it's on Netflix. I yes. I really enjoy it. Okay. And I know Don't I get my expectations it. up. Because I watch it semi-frequently. Um. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Well, we know what you're going to do with this DVD already. Well, no, because I don't watch the special features semi-frequently. I think it would have been oh, about two years since I've watched it, so we'll see how much has changed. I have an update on special features. Mm-hmm. When I was watching Napoleon Dynamite with my friends, yeah. they all said that everybody hates special features and nobody needs them. Well, they're wrong, and we're I right. know! I know! They were like, Beck, what you said on your podcast about people everyone needing special features and special features need to come back from streaming sites. You're wrong. Yeah. Well, they're wrong and we're right. I think they're wrong. And I ma- think so. And we, we have the voice and the power, right? So Exactly. And maybe that will be our new sign off. You're wrong and we're right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel uncomfortable with that. Yeah. But um... <laughs> we'll think about it anyway. While we still try and come up of a new sign off, we are still DVD Clutter. You can follow us mm. on all the socials at DVD Clutter. That's D-V-D-E-C-L-U-T-T-E-R. You had to think way too hard for that. No, I'm just going to make it smoother in the edit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, um, thanks for listening again yeah. and tune in again in two weeks' time for Looney Tunes. Watch along and get ready to have some hardcore analysis because I feel like this one's going to be a thinker, Paul. Sure is. See you back. See you, listeners. (laughs) Bye.
Nice to see you, talk to you. Yeah. Um, what's it called? Zoom? Zoom. Zoom. Nice to Zoom with you. <laughs> Until next time. <laughs>